Hello, and welcome to the Learning to Learn podcast, where we provide tools and resources to educators and parents of kiddos who could use a little extra help. With our combined 50 plus years of experience, we've helped thousands of students improve their academic proficiency, boost their test scores, and chart a course to a lifetime of growth, all by discovering the joy of learning. Look us up or connect with us at mmeslearn.com. I'm your host, Nehemiah White, and today we have with us the founder of Mrs. Myers Education Services, Tammy Myers. Tammy, great to have another go at it. Thank you, Nehemiah. I'm very happy to keep the conversation moving, asking hopefully some of the right questions. Yeah. um, Some of the things that we've talked about off mic um, have really gotten me thinking about um, some of the steps that we took that I hadn't thought about in years. See, that's going to be really fun to explore today because last podcast, uh, we explored your path to speech pathology mm-hmm. from you touched on how you were inspired by it as a 14 year old and then how that took you into medical speech pathology, how that led you into uh, working with children, something that you hadn't envisioned before. And that's kind of where we left off last time. Now we know where we're at today, we're with this Mrs. Myers Education Services, which is a far cry from medical speech pathology. But what it all started with was this thing called the learning lab. Can you help us understand how you got from speech pathology, which as we've discussed is like a medical intervention to the learning lab, which is more of an academic intervention? I mean, it started with the story of Kimberly Silverstein and myself. I was treating her son for severe apraxia of speech. And I told that story in a previous podcast. Essentially, uh, Kimberly, uh, she participated in every session that we had with her son and was actively involved and wanted to learn the processes that I was using to teach him to speak. And a side effect of that was him learning to read. And she was fascinated about that. I blew it off. I was like, oh, they all do that. It was a side effect. Every, you know, all the students that go through this learn to read. And she wouldn't drop it. She just kept hounding me how does this work? Why aren't you teaching children to read? You know, there's a a huge deficit in our community of children that cannot read. And after several years, it did wear on me. I started thinking maybe I should branch out and use this process, uh, multimodality process to help children learn to read. So when you ask me why, because you know what happens from there in the previous podcast, I talked about Kimberly and I uh, doing this joint venture together. Um, But when you ask me why or how, it's about uh, speech pathology is an integrated neurocognitive process. So it's integrating the neurology, the cognition of, um, of thinking and muscle movement for learning and the way that process information in order to interact with our world. And from an educational component, teaching children how to learn is what keeps them successful in school through their academic career. And so it really started resonating with me that if I could help children learn how to learn, they wouldn't struggle as much at school. They, They would enjoy learning. Like, why are children not wanting to go to school? And it's because of a fear of failure. They don't like school because it's hard for them. They don't know how to learn. And the educational processes 
don't really teach teachers how to teach children to learn. They teach them what to learn. And a lot of the teachers that I've coached through this process, um, I would say all of the teachers I've coached this process have come back to me and said, this is not part of our educational component in becoming a teacher. We don't learn how the psychology of learning and the neuroanatomy for learning works together to develop that process of learning. So um, after Kimberly and I decided that we were going to open Mrs. Myers Learning Lab, we she handled the business aspect of it. I handled the curriculum. So I had to formally put on paper this process that I use to teach children how to learn in a way that was not medically based because it, it wasn't a medical intervention. It's an academic intervention. So using my skill set as a speech pathologist and being able to teach teachers how to facilitate this how to learn process, then putting that on paper, um, it was interesting for me. And then part of the questions I asked myself, Nehemiah, is how do I know this? How do I know this? I mean, I've been a pathologist for over 30 years. So a lot of what I know, I don't remember how I know it because I practice. I'm, I'm still a practicing speech pathologist. And in doing that, what you know becomes part of who you are. So I went back and did an extensive review of literature and um, extensive review of my educational and continuing ed process to figure out how, how did I acquire the knowledge that I have in this to be able to substantiate to others that this is a good thing. <laughs> this is something we all should be doing because children should love to learn. So then part of that journey then, Tammy, sounded like you started to understand the connection personally between your decades of work on the medical speech path side, the speech therapy, and how that was or could influence or affect students and teachers in the academic setting. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the thing is, Nehemiah, I... I knew that being a speech pathologist, because if I was targeting um, a certain goal um, with a child, I could uh, work with that teacher for that teacher to do the carryover in their classroom so that they were able to facilitate uh, appropriate uh, language and cognition for the targets, specific, specific targets I had in their everyday life. And so I've been working with teachers for decades. So that part of it came natural. It was more of teaching them on a broader scale of teaching children how to learn and understanding when a child wasn't learning, what do you do? So it's that intervention of um, scaling based on where a child is performing at the time and knowing how to scale based on a how to learn process, not a what to learn process. So if a child isn't learning their numbers or their letters or their letter sounds or their the names of their states and capitals, if they're not successful, instead of saying that child is not successful learning their states and capitals, or they only know 25 of the states and capitals, they don't know the rest. Instead of saying that, you say, okay, 
there is a learning process deficit. So let's teach this child how to learn these things because that how to learn process can not only be applied to states and capitals, it will be applied throughout their life. Mm-hmm. It makes me think of uh, spelling tests. Oh. <laughs> you know that's a subject. <laughs> yes, I, do. I just think about it because if I think about, all right, I need to help my kid know how to spell these words so they can pass their spelling test. I'm like, how do you spell this word? All right, learn this word, memorize it again, write it five times. And I'm trying to get the what. Whereas um, there's a, you went into this a couple episodes ago on the, uh, it, the, the what, not just the what versus the how, but how the cognitive side of our learning affects the, 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 the actual um, mechanical part of our learning. Um, that's really cool. So it, it sounds like from, as I'm, as you're talking, it sounds like there was some real pieces that started to fall in place as you started seeing the real effects of what started with Kimberly's child, Mm -hmm. um, and I'm assuming others. And that's what I'd like to understand, Tammy, is you started with Kimberly's child, but now we've affected thousands. So what was what what took you from just serving one child and starting to kind of dive into the academic side for him Mm -hmm. into making a formal learning lab? Mm -hmm. At the time, it was Mrs. Myers reading room. Mm -hmm. What was the I guess, what are some of the milestones there? And what were you thinking? <laughs> well, it was a real challenge for me because um, working from an academic perspective, from a teacher perspective, and developing a program that teachers could um, assume and take over and and go through those process processes, teach those processes. Um, being able to step back as a speech pathologist and step into the classroom as a teacher was a challenge for me. And I did it. I was able to do it, but it was at a very conscious level. Like I had to maintain this conscious conscious level that was somewhat exhausting at times because some of the students that come in also present with other issues that would typically be on my caseload as a speech pathologist. But I wanted to make sure that the program that they received could be received by anyone that I taught how to do the program how to work through the program. They didn't have to be a speech pathologist. They needed to be a teacher. And so in working working through that and understanding the dynamic of small group learning, reciprocal learning, uh, the sharing of responsibility of the learning. So it's not just the teacher that's responsible for the learning, but teaching the students to also be responsible through activities and um, you know, group dynamics uh, plays a, a big role in learning how to learn and being curious about your world and wanting to learn more. I mean, think about it. Our whole education process is truly not about what we know, even though the curriculum states what we need to know. It really is practicing how we are absorbing information and then to recall that information and apply it to other areas. So it's the generalization of knowledge that we can apply in our life to continue to interact with our world for the rest of our life. It's how we work. It's how we build relationships. It's how we sustain our families. Um, it's, it's how we grow as individuals and how we contribute to communities. You know, it's, 
you're telling me that from the beginning, I've, for some reason, I've had this thought in my mind, I was heard of, you know, Mrs. Myers reading room and Tammy Myers does this. From the beginning, it wasn't intended to be, uh, you didn't build it as a, a Tammy Myers uh, um, m- taught program. From the very beginning, it, what it sounds like you're saying is it was a teacher taught, like, I'm going to take teachers, train them how to do these principles. So from the very beginning, you were thinking about the teachers in the classroom and what tools you needed to outfit them with in order to teach these children the skills that they needed to learn. Nehemiah, absolutely. I mean, I'm mortal. (laughs) There are only hours in a day. There are only so many children I can interface with. And I, after 20 years of service, you start realizing you need to share your skill set. You need to teach others to do what, what you do or it dies with you. And I'm, I mean, I've told you from the beginning, I'm on a mission. We need to touch as many lives as possible, as quickly as possible. If we're going to influence um, the lives of children in our communities. So it was just as much about the teachers as it was about the children. Absolutely. And that's something I think that's really important for our audience to understand, because some people who are listening to this, I think, may be familiar with your learning learning lab or Mrs. Meyer's reading room. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people in this community and maybe other places that are familiar with that, that um, resource. But I think what's important for our audience, and this is an aha moment for me, is to connect the fact that when you started that reading room, it wasn't only as much about reaching kids, children, teaching them how to read, as important and, and great of a mission that is, but it was a an intentional thought process of connecting the dots between the cognitive realities of learning to what the teachers are actually doing in the classroom and then fitting them with those tools. That's huge, Tammy. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. And it, it can be overwhelming at times. <laughs> But it is, it's true. If, if teachers can learn this process, it, it will change the lives of the children they're touching. So a little bit more of the milestones, if you were, what, what are some primary milestones between, so back some of the, the other podcasts, we'll drop the link to, um, you talk about how you were started in a basement, Kimberly said, ah, no, we're going to do this the right way. You two figured out uh, the right way to do it. How did it build into chapters and the the environment that you've created today in the learning lab? Mm-hmm. How did it go from sitting in a speech pathologist's um, room with a child to a formal resource room slash full full <laughs> a full chapter process progression? How did it turn into that? It emulates the the side that I would use in a therapeutic process. So every cycle builds on the other. And as as the children move from room to room, they're building on previously learned activities. And it's the way that we learn cognitively. If we can learn information and then we can apply it to what we've learned, we can apply it immediately, then that learning is going to anchor in our neurological system in our memory. If we could take that memory and then generalize it to another activity within a short amount of time, then that is going to become 
a formal neurological resource that we can draw upon because then we've broadened our scope of reference. And so the activities and the way that children through the chapters emulate that learning and that recall process and that generalization process repeatedly and reciprocally so that they are learning to do that while they are teaching and supporting the other children in the class, that reciprocity of learning. So it's, it's like, if you want to learn something, give a presentation on it, right? If children learn and they can teach others, they know it. It's anchored and it's anchored forever. Wow. Okay. So there's even more of the connections between this, the speech path and the, the occupational therapy and the formal academic intervention of the, all, all the chapters are, they're not this made up concept. It's the concept of what you use in your occupational therapy, but in a small group setting, speech therapy, speech therapy, yeah. speech therapy right? Yes. It's, it's a process of what you use in your speech therapy mm-hmm. and um, but putting, formalizing it in a, uh, a, a progressive model. Now, how did you go from one person working with one child? How did you get from that one-on-one to the small group? You talked to us just a minute ago about how important that is, the reciprocity and such. Mm-hmm. But what was, what was a little bit of the journey that got you from one to many? Actually, it was trying to identify, and, and it was a little bit of a trial and error, how many students could um, show significant progress and benefit from this type of learning um, really, um, what is it, um, emphasizing the reciprocity and the practice and the rehearsal and the recall, so and doing that in a group dynamic. And uh, what we learned was that as students came together as a group and demonstrated the reciprocal learning process and they accepted their responsibility of their learning, anecdotally, they were happier. They were excited. They wanted to come to class. They, they saw themselves as a group um, and that, you know, the, the social dynamic, the learning and cognitive dynamic, as well as the um, actual statistical results that we, we've seen from standardized test scores increasing, that demonstrated to me that we were on the right track. And it also supported the fact that we could reach more children at a time instead of having a, a one-on-one concept. Now, keep in mind, the children that come to us are struggling for the most part. We have a few parents that bring their children in that they want them to get ahead and that we work through our process because it's not grade leveled, it's skill leveled, and they'll go through all of the skills to get ahead. But the, for the most part, parents bring their children to us when their child is struggling. So this, um, this intervention needs to be in small group sections. So even if it's instituted in an entire classroom, it would be instituted in a way where small groups would go through the process at a time and they would become a cohort. Did that answer your question or did I get off on a tangent? (laughs) No, it certainly answered my question. I was trying to think of how to, uh, there's so many connections happening right now, right? (laughs) So it's kind of like the last 
conversation we had was I'm just teeming with thoughts and there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of synapses connecting right now. (laughs) And the, the connections between the, the, um, the speech therapy and the academic intervention, the connections, the very real live connections are becoming more live for me in this moment Mm -hmm. of understanding how much intentionality there was in what you established as a small group intervention. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just a, it wasn't just pragmatically, how can I get in as many as I can of how can we help these kids progress? But wow, I'm seeing some increased, I'm seeing my kids get be happier mm-hmm. as they go through this, as opposed to trying to do one-on-one. I'm seeing them learn faster because they're actually learning from each other. And I'm seeing the capability of accelerating these learning activities in my community mm-hmm. by actually taking advantage of this small group aspect. Mm-hmm. That's a big deal. It is. It is. And, you know, I can sit here and talk about it and give you anecdotal stories all day long. But mm-hmm. if you really want the data, the data shows mm-hmm. that these small group interventions using the reciprocal team teaching children how to learn, where they take responsibility for their learning, um, accelerates the learning process far beyond a standard intervention. Wow. Okay. Well, I mean, there's so much there. There's so much in that story that, and you gave us some, not just anecdotes, but you gave us some real nuggets as far as how the cognitive is connected to the the academic uh, side in this episode. And um, I think next time we'll touch on the, we'll jump back into kind of the middles of the stream um, of how that then led us into developing the broader ed services Mm. part of uh, your capabilities or of your offerings to actually formalize the school part of this service. and I think what was intended to be a single episode of your story <laughs> has quickly turned into three. <laughs> Today it was intended to be just two, but I think next episode we'll turn uh, back into this, jump back into the stream and uh, start charting our way to where we are today. Sure. I wonder if today you can leave us with uh, something similar to what you did in our first episode of what is something that uh, our listeners today can take home with them and implement with their children? Ooh, what should it be? Um, I would say have your child practice being the teacher and you be the student. For example, if um, you're studying spelling or math, have them make a test for you or give you a test and then make some mistakes. Have them correct your paper and bring it back to you and show you your mistake. And uh, you would be quite surprised how much they learn and how much self-awareness they gain from identifying um, the errors that you make and the and correcting your paper and pretending to be the teacher. That's such a cool idea. <laughs> that really is. Tell me how I can do that when Jasmine brings home her <laughs> spelling test. And again, a whole topic. <laughs> She's got her list of words. Mm-hmm. How can I set up a teacher-student uh, opportunity in that moment with that list of words that she needs to memorize for her test next week? Um, well, I would have her 
well, okay. So I have an advantage. I know she has siblings. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> this is what I did with my older girls is they each had to give each other their own spelling test and then grade that test. So she would give her test to Edward and then Edward would have to spell her words. Yes. And then she would have to grade his test. Yes. That's brilliant because then she's repeating the word. Like she's saying, you know, mop. Yes. I mopped the floor and then he has to spell it. And then uh, bridge, I crossed the bridge. And then that's, I love that because that's stuff we could implement this weekend Oh yes. or this, you know, this evening. Any family um, could do that. I mean, they could do it with you as well. Mm -hmm. I would say, um, you know, if they do it with an adult, the adult needs to intentionally misspell some things that can be corrected. Um, otherwise, just let it naturally happen. That's so good. Tammy, that's really, that's a really fun activity, I think, to take away. That's really practical. And that addresses, I, I think that could make fun some of the homework frustrations that we might, some of our listeners might experience with their children mm -hmm. today. They may have something specific in mind. They can say, all right, let's gamify it by me being the student mm -hmm. or by, hey, your, your sibling's the student. It becomes a, almost its own peer group activity. It does. I'll tell you one other one I did. Just one little antidote. <laughs> um, and this was really kind of fun, but you, you can't be OCD about your mirrors. I'll tell you that. Um, I would let my girls take shaving cream and put them on the bathroom mirror and write their spelling words in the mirror. That's fun. And then obviously we clean the mirror after, but <laughs> well, and shaving cream actually is a great mirror cleaner. It keeps it from fogging up after you take a shower. I didn't know that. It does. If you rub it down with shaving cream, it actually keeps it from fogging. That is interesting. Okay. Well, another little tidbit. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Well, Tammy, this has been a lot of fun today. I, I, I'm really grateful for the connections you helped us make. Um, thanks again for setting aside the time to give us some of that history. Well, thanks for asking the questions. I mean, some of these questions, I have never been asked. And it's interesting to me to have to even think about them. So thank you, Nehemiah. Yeah, thank you, Tammy. And to our listeners, thank you so much for joining us again today. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time to listen through these stories. And as we make these connections live, um, these are things that have happened uh, in real time as you've been living, as we've been living, and uh, very real resources and opportunities to uh, serve our families and to serve our communities. Uh, next week, we'll jump into uh, where Mrs. Myers Ed Services came from, how that was developed out of the reading room, and uh, hopefully give you some better idea of where we're going from there. Thanks again for joining us today on the Learning to Learn podcast, and we look forward to having you next time.